Y'all pray for our youth that they have a retreat today. About 50 or 60 of them with adults are there. So pray that the adults survive, number one, and that no youth escape or we lose, number two. But most importantly, of course, that the Lord really does some work down there with them. So we're talking about true if it matters, important if it matters, important if true. When you walk in, you see those signs. I want you to think about that all the time, that the Scripture is absolutely important if it's true. If Just a little feedback there, Danny, if you don't mind. If it's true. Simple yet difficult. A simple yet difficult life, I believe, is better than a complicated yet easy life. John the Baptist had a simple life, but it was a hard life. It was a short-lived life, and it was difficult. It was painful. There was injustice done to John the Baptist. It was very difficult. But I think, for me personally, that I would choose a simple yet hard life over a complicated yet easy life. And we learn in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36, John's life. We see his philosophy. We see what he believed in. And basically, you can tell what people believe in by what they do, right? If you watch television, doesn't matter what the politicians say, look and see what they do. Because they're going to do what they believe. Now, I find it to be very hypocritical for there to be politicians that claim in that the world's going to end in 2028, or whatever the date is today, because of the climate situation. If that's true, I don't get an Air Force One. If that's true, if I believe that's true, I'm not going around in a suburban. I'm not even moving. I'm staying in the White House. And when my time is over in the White House, I'm riding a horse and buggy wherever I'm going. It'd be a long road from Texas, would it? Riding that horse and buggy down I-95. That would be quite an experience. Because we do what we believe. And what we do is what we believe. There's no question about that. All of us do that. We're all the same way. We do what we believe. And, and I think John the Baptist did exactly that. So let's see what this simple life, what it consists of here today. Verses 22 and 23. After this, now after Jesus taught about being born again. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Selim because there was plenty of water there. And people came out there to be baptized by John. I can just imagine a conversation going like this. John, where are you going? 
I'm going to the Jordan. Why are you going to the Jordan? Because there's plenty of water there. What are you going to do at the Jordan? I'm going to baptize. Okay, why are you going so far out there? He said, because there's plenty of water there. Very simple. There wasn't plenty of water where he was. If he was with the Essenes, which many people believe he was, there's not any water around there. It's very difficult. They had to import water in. They had to catch water coming off those hills in, in cisterns for them to be able to have enough water for them. And so John the Baptist goes to the place to do what he's assigned to do. His assignment is to make straight the way of the Lord. His assignment is to preach for the kingdom of God is at hand and call people to repentance and then baptize them as a result of their repentance to demonstrate their belief in God. And so where did John the Baptist go? He went to the place where there was plenty of water. I find that very simple. That's not complicated. Could he have done it a different way? Well, of course. He could have said, let's haul a bunch of water to this place because there's a nice tree there and we're out here in the oasis and we'll just, you know, put water in a hole. We'll dig a hole. No, he didn't do any of that. He went to where there was plenty of water. Now, they were immersing. They were putting them all the way under. So there had to be enough water to put them all the way under. Immerse them. Now, it's an interesting word, baptism. Baptist is an interesting word. Now, you know that a lot of Baptists believe that the Baptist church is from John the Baptist, right? That there's a direct link between John the Baptist and the Baptist. Not true. Not even close to true. There's not even a possibility that that's true. And the idea of baptizing like John did and like the disciples did here in the first days of the church is this will probably break many of your hearts today, but let me tell you the real truth about it. What is he doing out there? What is that John guy doing? Well, he's baptizing people. He's what? Never heard of that. What do you mean? He's baptizing people. The word baptism doesn't mean baptism. The word baptism meant dunking. He's dunking them. He's drenching them. He's throwing people under the water was the word. And it was transliterated. And so the word in Aramaic sounded like baptism. So it could have been John the drencher very easily. It could have been John the dunker very easily. And you imagine how in the English language, language, how that would have worked out if it hadn't sounded like baptizo in the Aramaic, translating to the Greek, baptizo, and it just carried on in history. And a new name was developed that there would be the first Baptist church. No, there'd be the first dunking church. The first drenching church. So this word baptism is very interesting to me. And it's held to such a high esteem. And you go, you know, it's not even really a word. It's not, it really, it just sounded like what was taking place with John the Baptist out there in, along the Jordan River. And by the way, the Baptist did not come from John the Baptist. There was a lot of different roads and paths it took. 
and a lot of years went by before that possibility came to be. And so it's very simple. John, where are you going? I'm going to go baptize. Call people to repentance. Where are you going to do it? Where there's plenty of water. And so John the Baptist was not so concerned with place or method. He just needed there to be plenty of water. And that's what he did. So to me, that's a simple life. Look in verse 24. It says here that John the Baptist, like all of us, didn't know what was waiting for him. Now, you say, well, that's common sense. Everybody knows that. Well, there's a lesson here for us, I think. There's a lesson for me in this. And, and for me, frankly, it's a very powerful, powerful lesson. It just simply says, he was out there baptizing in verse 23, for John had not yet been put in prison. He didn't know he was going to be put in prison. It was written afterwards, of course. It was, it, it, this was put together, and people said, well, when did this take place? How did it place? And, and John put it in here so that people would know that he had not yet been put in prison. He didn't know what was ahead. We don't know what is ahead. Now, it appears, it may not be true, but it appears in our congregation, crazy enough, it, it doesn't seem like hardly a week goes by that something hard, difficult, painful, unbelievable happens to people in our congregation. You know about this past week, Emily passing away in her, in her bed after bronchitis. I mean, it's just, man, how... We, we pray for our sick people all the time. We pray for people who are going through hard times. We, we have all kinds of stuff that seems to take place. Now, I don't think it's every week, but from my perspective and just the ones that I know about, it seems like it's every week. Now, wouldn't life be horrible if we knew what was in our future? We don't want that. You know, people say, I want to know what tomorrow holds. I want to cast, I want to see, and I want to know where I'm going to be five years from now. You really don't want to know. And since it could very well be that your future is not as good as today, it could very well be that way. I mean, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it could very well be that your dreams and your goals and all the things that you want to happen in your future may not happen. And you may go through some real hard times. There are no guarantees. The Bible does not guarantee that we're going to have an easy life because we are believers in Christ. And in John the Baptist, he experienced that. And thank goodness he didn't know. Now, this is my way of thinking. And it, it, it may be way too simplistic for some, but but just listen to it and, and, and perhaps consider it in your life. Since we don't know that today, the now, may be our best days, shouldn't we live today like today is our best day? Regardless of what's happening? regardless of how hard it is for us. You say, well, I look at my life, and my life is not as hard as some, and it's not as easy as others. 
And it's very difficult for me today. And I can't imagine life being worse than it is today. It may be. And if you obsess on your life now, if you, if, if, or your future life, and if this happens, it'll get better. And if this job change happens, it'll get better. And if we can only get over this hurdle, things are going to be better. That may not be true for you. There's no way of knowing. And since it's true for all of us, it just makes sense to me that get busy doing what you know you're to do today. That's simple. That's a simple approach. Not complicated, just simple. This is what I do today in this hard condition. Simple yet hard. That's what John the Baptist had. And then in verse 25 there, we have another interesting lesson that I think is really applicable to life. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew. One Jew. <laughs> oh man, that, I find that interesting. A discussion arose between some of John's disciples, some meaning, you know, a gaggle of them, a few of them. A discussion arose between some of John's disciples and one Jew over purification. And they got all twisted about it. Matter of fact, they got so twisted that we're going to find here in just a moment that they went to John the Baptist and talked to him about it. And they went to him and said, hey, Jesus is over yonder, and he and his boys are baptizing more people than we are. They got twisted over it. And they're twisted over the fact, now, don't we have the assignment to baptize for purification? Why in the world is he over there baptized for purification? And, and, and this conversation, this argument happened because of one Jew. Honorary Jew, maybe. You know, strong-headed Jew, maybe. A good arguer, perhaps. We don't know anything about this one Jew, but when you read over this, you see a discussion arose between some of the John's disciples and a Jew over purification. There's a good lesson there for us. Don't let one person get you all twisted up. Don't allow a small group to get you twisted up in life. Don't allow it to happen. Don't allow a person, or actually don't allow anyone. It's just significant to me that it was just one Jew. It wasn't like it was a whole council of them. It wasn't like it was a Sanhedrin. It wasn't all the Pharisee land. It was one Jew. One Jew comes along and says, y'all aren't doing this right. Well, what, what? We're not doing, whoa, we got one person disagreeing with what we're doing here. John, are we doing this right? What about Jesus over there? What's taking place here? They got all worked up over one Jew's opinion. Don't get worked up over one person's opinion. Don't get worked up over two people's opinion. Matter of fact, don't get worked out up over anyone's opinion of you. If you're doing what you know is right, get on with it. It doesn't matter what anyone's opinion of us is. And a complicated life is a life that is just misled, pressured by other people all the time. Everybody's going to have a different way of doing it. Everybody's going to have a different idea everybody's going to have an opinion. If you're going to live an easy life of faith in Christ and follow Him, you just can't be concerned 
with everyone's opinions. Because it doesn't matter. Opinions of you does not matter. The only opinion of you that matters is the opinion that Jesus has of you. And here's the deal. Don't let other people's words and other people's opinions twist you up. The only time to let another person influence what you do is if they come after you with a baseball bat. If they come up, with, up to you with a baseball bat, action is required. If you can take the bat away from them and whip them, by all means do it. But if you can't, run as fast as you can. Right? It's very simple. They're going to hurt you. Opinions don't hurt you unless you let it hurt you. And here, John's disciples are all twisted up over one Jew's opinion. Life hadn't changed much, has it? Life hadn't changed much. And in verse 28, it says there, I'm sorry, verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one good thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I have said, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. A simple life has competition under wraps. A simple life is not going to be Burdened with unhealthy competition. Now, some competition is healthy. But much of competition is unhealthy. There's a lot of competition in religion. Y'all recognize that? A lot of competition. Who's got the biggest church? Who's baptizing more? That's what we have here. Who has the right to do this and that and the other? That's... That is unhealthy competition. And John the Baptist did not suffer from being influenced by unhealthy baptism. He just simply tells his disciples, y'all, come on now, you're making much out of nothing here. It's no big deal. Matter of fact, not only is it not a big deal here, but it's a wonderful deal that he's baptizing. It's a wonderful deal that they're baptizing more than we are. Because it's not about us, and it's not about our place. It's about the kingdom. And I told you guys, I told you right up front, no question about it, that I am not the Christ. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. I have a different assignment. My assignment is to come and make straight his path. So he didn't have a problem with competition. And so he was able to live a simple life because he didn't have a problem with competition. In our, in, our, in our community, do you know how many kids are just absolutely full of anxiety over competition? Do you know how many kids are just absolutely beside themselves and stressed out 
in third grade because they don't get to be on first team? Oh, well, we, we, we really are making a mistake when we are unbalanced with competition. Now, work hard, try to win, do your best to win. It's better to win. I, I was really happy yesterday the Texas Rangers won. I was really upset yesterday that my Longhorns lost. But you know what? I woke up today. It's all good. We'll try again. And, and when we play the Sooners again in the final game, we're going to whack them up the head. It's going to be beautiful. Amen. God bless you and all that live in your house. But it's, it's, it's competition. It, doesn't, it didn't impact anything. It didn't mean anything except for hurt feelings. But, but there are people today in Austin that are just, I, I bet you there's already for sale signs in Coach Sarkeesian's front yard. Because when our society has a problem with competition, and you can't live a simple life if you don't have competition in a good way, in a good balance, in a healthy, healthy look. John did. John said, chill out, guys. I'm not the Christ. It's all good. Let him get after it. Let him do it. And then we find in, in uh, verse 29, we find that John the Baptist was really okay. He was good in his skin with being second fiddle. Look in verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom would be the best man, right? The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. John the Baptist saying, I'm not the Christ. I play second fiddle to the Christ. And I have joy in playing second fiddle. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He had joy because he played second fiddle. He saw it. He saw his part. His part was significant. His part mattered in life. It was of value. John the Baptist was a great man. We know that to be true. He was unbelievable. He was powerful. He was strong. He was a perseverer. I mean, John the Baptist, he was unbelievable. We would all need to emulate John the Baptist. What a great guy he was. Just wore deer skin and ate crickets and drank honey. Never took the bath. Nothing better than that. He was a man. And his joy was complete because as best man, he saw the value of the groom. He was playing second fiddle. In life, competition again, but it fits. In life, when you're not first string, when you're not first fiddle, and you are absolutely eat up about not being first fiddle, it'll wear you out. 
There won't be peace. There won't be joy that John had. It will be complicated. You remember the story of those ice skaters. There was a first chair gal. And there was the second chair gal. She wasn't as good as that first one. And so she had her boyfriend hit the first one with a pipe. And then she lost being... he. You know, wait a minute. If you'll just go along and, and do your very best, and you may get second, you may get third, but you get to be second or third. And because she was so eat up with competition and being first string, being the first fiddle, being the top person for the gold, her life was wrecked. John the Baptist didn't have that problem. My joy is complete because of what I see the groom doing. And Jesus hears. That's a good thing. Verse 30. The next step we see here. John the Baptist knew the secret to life. Here's a secret to life. He must increase. He being Jesus. Jesus must increase but I must decrease. That's the definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He, he increases, I decrease. He increases in me and I decrease. That's what John the Baptist understood was significant about the Christian life. And then we're going to see in 31 through 36 here, he who comes from above is above all. Speaking of Jesus. Jesus came from heaven. Jesus has always been. He who comes from above is above all. He who speaks of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this that God is true, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives a spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Jesus had all things given to him, place of all power. He, he's the judge. He's the Savior. He's the immediate, immediate between us and the Father. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. He's above all. He's the only one that can give eternal life. He's the only one that can forgive us of our sins. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Second part of verse 36 is a warning to us. The first part of verse 36 is an appeal to us. Believe. Believe in who Jesus is. He is above all. So, John the Baptist understood this. John the Baptist lived this out. He recognized. He accepted. He was completely just swooned with the idea of who Jesus was. He is above all. Key to the, seat, to the simple life. Jesus is above all. He is God and you are not. He is God and I am not. I will be submissive to what He wants, how He wants it, and the way He wants it. It's a simple, simple 
five. It might be hard, but it's simple, which is better than complicated and easy. If you look at your life this afternoon, if you think about what we talked about today, ask yourself this question. Is your life really, really complicated? And if it's really complicated, ask yourself why. Why is my life so complicated? Why is it difficult? What changes do I need to make to simplify simplify my life? What do I need to do? How do I need to do it? Not hard. That's not for us. I mean, we can't do nothing about the hard parts. But we can do something about whether or not our life is simple or complicated. And what I see here in this scripture, this is important because it's true. John the Baptist had a simple life. And, and for me in my life, that, that motivates me. I want that kind of simple life. I, I want to be able to, you know, absolutely be able to live that kind of a spectacular life. Although, simple. So what are you, kind of life are you living? What kind of life are you living? Easy, yet hard, or the worst of all, complicated and hard. What kind of life are you living? Lord, we pray today that we will respond properly, Lord, to what your message, what your word guides us to. Help us, Lord, to live a simple life a life of faith, a life of love, just believing in you. You're above all, Lord Jesus, and we submit to you and we believe in you. And we love because we believe in you. And Lord, help us to live by faith every day. Help us to see which is complicated and back up and hold on to the simple faith of following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.